Amen. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Good morning, Coastline. And happy 4th of July. Yes, today is the 4th of July, otherwise known as America's Independence Day. And if you have not yet seen my boots, uh, I am, of course, celebrating. Um, I know it maybe feels a little weird that I've just wished you happy America's Independence Day when obviously America has gotten her independence from you, from, from Great Britain. Uh, it did feel a little weird as I said it, not gonna lie. But as your resident American pastor and as a former American history teacher, because yes, that is what I did before I did this, I taught American history, I just felt a slight obligation to give you a little history lesson this morning, okay? So just go with me on this. So if, uh, if you don't know, America was founded as British colonies years and years ago, and at first it was great. We loved it. We loved being British. It was wonderful. We loved the tea, we loved the king. It was all good. We were very content and happy as Brits. And then a few things happened that changed that. So first there was a war called the French and Indian War. This was an extension of the war that was going on between Britain and France, and it was fought on North American soil. So the colonists had to fight in it. And we didn't really want to fight, but we were British citizens, and that's what we were called to do, and so that's what we did. But it left us with a massive war debt because wars cost a lot of money. And so King George and the British government decided that since the war was fought on American soil, that the American colonists should pay for it. And so all of a sudden, we were wildly taxed, like crazy, crazy high taxes on everything. Like anything coming into the country had a tax on it. And we, of course, did not like this because one, no one likes to be taxed. But two, both this and the war and a lot of the other laws that were going on, we had no say in. Because even though we were British citizens, we had no representation in the British government. And so we were being told what we could do, what we couldn't do, what was required of us. And that really upset us. And so we, you know, we did some peaceful protests, we signed some letters, Nothing worked. And so over the course of about a decade, it got worse and worse. Until finally on the 4th of July, 1776, we wrote and signed a letter called the Declaration of Independence. And we sent it off to King George, and it basically said, we're out. We're done, we're over this whole thing. We think you're a tyrant, we don't like you. We are no longer British, we're American now. And this was obviously an act of war. And so uh, the American had to go on to fight and win the war for independence, which obviously they did, which is why now millions of Americans all over the country, all over the states, celebrate today with cookouts and barbecues and fireworks and games and all this wonderful, fun stuff and you know, all things American. It's great. I love it. I'm gonna celebrate later with fried chicken and sparklers. It's, I'm very excited. It's gonna be great. But the thing that is endlessly fascinating to me about this, the thing that just continually gets me about this period of history and about the revolution and the war is the psychology of it. 
Because if you had asked the average colonist, not, not a politician, just like an average me or you, six months, a year before the declaration was written, they would have said, I'm British. 100%, I'm, I'm a British citizen. I'm a little angry at my government right now, but I'm British, that's who I am. And so what happened over a relatively short amount of time was a whole identity change, that their whole mindset and perspectives shifted so that by the time the declaration was written or a year or so into the revolution, the average colonist was no longer saying they were British. They were American now. And I might be oversimplifying things here. It was a revolution after all. There were political and economic and all this other stuff going on. But, but at its heart, the American Revolution was about a people desperately wanting to belong and realizing they didn't. See, the colonists thought they were a part of this thing. They thought they were a part of Great Britain. But the British government was like, oh, but like, you're not really British, are you? We're like, mm, not, I don't know about that. And so the, the colonists were rejected. They, they thought they had this king who was going to build something with them. But they weren't even invited to the table. King George really wanted nothing to do with them. He just saw them as, you know, money and, and power, basically. And so from that place of feeling unwanted, of feeling uninvited, of feeling unaccepted, unseen, unheard, an entire new nation is birthed. A whole new cultural identity is formed. The history of the world is changed. Because that's how important being accepted and being wanted and belonging somewhere and being invited to the table is. That it could literally change the course of history. Now, the good news in the kingdom of God is that we have a way better king than King George. King Jesus is a way better king than King George, right? He's a king who wants to hear about your concerns. He wants to hear what's going on in your life. He, he wants you to, to be a part of him. He, he wants to be unified with you. He invites us to the table. He says you're loved and accepted. Excuse me, and you get to be a part of this thing that I'm building. That's his heart, to invite. And we see this heart of invitation so well in a story Jesus shares in Luke 14. So it's the parable of the great banquet, and I'm going to read it from verse 16. I'm sure it'll come up as well. And remember, this is Jesus speaking, okay? So he says, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Uh, please excuse me. And another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to examine them. Please excuse me. And another said, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, sir, what you commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, 
Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who are invited shall taste my banquet. So the story is that these people who were invited to the banquet, which the cultural context of this is that they would have been invited and already said yes. But now the time has come for them to actually go to the banquet and they start making excuses. And so the the host of the party, Jesus, as the symbolic, metaphorical host of the party in the story, the representative host in the story, he's like, well, actually, everyone's invited. These guys are going to miss out because actually I want my whole house to be full. Everyone's invited now. And so he goes out and everyone comes and, and I bet it's a really great party. But notice that the first people Jesus invites are the poor and the blind and the crippled and the lame. The first people that he says, oh, I want these guys at my party. I have a special place at my party for them. It's specifically for them, is the outcasts. It's the the rejected ones. It's the ones society has said, you're no good, you're not enough, I don't like you. It's the ones that would have been ignored and would never have been invited. But Jesus says to them, oh, I've got a special place for you. I have a place specifically at my table for you. Now, there's a literal thing here that this story teaches us, that we should continue to take care of the poor and the lost. That actually, we, we have a, um, a requirement, really, a commandment to offer justice to those who society has deemed less than. There's also a bigger narrative here, that actually anyone who has been rejected, Jesus is talking to in this story. Anyone who has felt they're not good enough is included in this invitation. So who is he talking to? Us. He's talking to all of us because we've all been rejected. We've all been told, you're no good. We've all felt that we're unwanted, that we're uninvited. And what Jesus is saying to them and what he's saying to us today is, oh, I've got a special spot for you. I specifically want you at my table. And we we see this, this heart to include, this heart to love, this heart to invite from everything that that Jesus is. Because even when Jesus is walking on earth and he's starting to, you know, start his public ministry, the, you know, start sharing the gospel, changing the world, he builds a team. He builds a team of 12. And you would think that Jesus would want the best of the best, right? Like, he would want the scholars. He would want maybe people who like already had a bit of influence or um, who he knew were going to be good public speakers, right? That's who he would want. He wants the best. Not Jesus. He's like, right, okay. First, I want a bunch of fishermen. Bring me the fishermen, yeah, yeah. Bring me the ones who would have stayed in that family profession because they hadn't done well enough in their education, so no rabbi wanted them. Yeah, bring me those guys. Okay, cool. And ooh, 
I really want a tax collector. I want the person that all the Jews believe are traitors to our faith. Yes, that, bring me him. That's who I want. Great. And oh, I want, I want that Simon the Zealot guy. Yeah, that's who I want on my team. Simon the Zealot was a nationalist. He was a fanatic. He would have sworn an oath to kill the Romans and to kill any Jew who sided with the Romans, which was the tax collectors. Great, let's get him too. Let's bring this ragamuffin group of people together. This, this absolute, like, just honestly, what was he thinking, right? This would be the equivalent if Gareth Southgate called me up today and was like, oh, Sarah, do you want to play football on Wednesday? Right? That would be ridiculous. I would be the most hated person in England if that happened. Like, like that's so insane. But that's what Jesus does. He literally, he takes all the people who society didn't look twice at. All the people who needed a second chance. All the people who were rejected by the world. And he's like, oh, let's go. This, this is a dream team. Let's do this. And he's still doing it today. Because that Jesus who chose those random ragamuffin group of 12 with the fishermen and the zealot. It's the same Jesus who's the host of the party. He wants the blind and the crippled and the lame and the poor and all the rejected. And he's the same Jesus who wants every messy heart in this room today. That's who he is. He wants you. And it doesn't matter how messy you think you are. It doesn't matter how many times you've failed before. He doesn't care. He's saying, I want you because you're invited to my table. And I know in a room this size, there's gonna be people who have never heard that or people who have never believed that. Maybe you're watching online and this, this is the first time you've heard that, that Jesus loves you. Maybe you have no idea what this whole Jesus Christianity thing is about. And so if that's you, first of all, if that's your story, I wanna say, welcome. It's so great to have you. I remember how scared I was walking into a church before I had any semblance of faith or had any real thoughts about God. I was terrified. So if you're here, I genuinely know that can take a lot of courage. And we're thrilled to have you. We're thrilled that you're watching. But the other thing I need to say to you, if that's your story and you've, you've never heard or believed this invitation is for you, you need to know that this is not an accident that you're here. You aren't here because you heard the beautiful music or you saw the cool coffee van. You're not here because you happened upon it on YouTube or because your friend sent you the link or, or dragged you here today. That's not it. You're not here on accident. You're here because the King of Kings wants you. because he is desperately telling you how accepted you are, how loved you are. And he doesn't care what you did last night. He doesn't care what you did 10 years ago. He cares about you right now in this moment. Will you accept his invitation? Because that's all it is. It's an invitation to the best feast going. It's a really good party. 
And we just have to say yes to it. Say yes to this, this love, this acceptance, this grace. We have to say yes to, to that. Actually, what Jesus did on the cross, that he died for us. He gave every breath in his lungs and every drop of his blood for me and for you. And it doesn't matter what we did or didn't do. It doesn't matter what we have or haven't done. What matters is your heart and Jesus wants all of it. And for those of us who maybe have said yes to that original invitation, we've, we've said yes to the, the invitation for relationship with the Lord and for salvation there's still so much more. Because if we actually came to the banquet, we wouldn't need to strive. We wouldn't need to compare. We wouldn't need to try to work our way into receiving the Lord's love and affection. We don't need to do that. He's done it. And it's so easy for us to forget it, isn't it? To be like, oh, I said yes to the invitation, I'm good. But just like these people who were invited and said yes to the invitation, we might not actually get to the feast. We might get so consumed in in the distractions of the world with the oxen and the land And if we zoom out of the story a little bit, we get some context that'll help us with this because Jesus is telling this parable at a dinner. He's actually talking about a banquet at a banquet. And it was thrown for him by the Pharisees who were the religious elite. And so these were guys who theoretically knew God. They would have memorized the scripture and knew the prayers. They would have known all the laws. They knew all the good stuff, right? But Jesus shares this story with them as a warning. That, oh, missed it. They missed it. That just like the, the, the people who were originally invited and originally said yes, they're not going to get to the feast because they're putting all the things in front of the kingdom of God. And it's a warning he gave then, but it's a warning that he's still giving us today, and we need to listen and heed it. Because we can be a Christian and miss out on the feast, miss out on the more of the Lord, miss out on the fullness of his kingdom. We might not have oxen and land anymore, but we have other distractions and idols, don't we? We have our jobs, social media, finances. We have friendships and relationships that we put above Jesus. We let these distractions, these earthly things, we we put them above the kingdom of God and the king himself. And if we do that, we miss out on the fullness of the banquet, the banquet that has everything we need. The banquet that has every bit of love you need, every bit of acceptance you need, every bit of forgiveness you need. The the banquet that has every bit of holiness you're looking for, every bit of empowerment and healing and freedom that you need today, it's at the banquet. We just need to say yes to that invitation. And this is the heart of the gospel. 
that we would know we're invited. We would know that we are accepted and loved. And we would feast at that table of Jesus. And knowing how loved we are would then extend that invitation to everyone else. You know how I met Jesus? A guy called Seth invited me to church. And then he invited me to his Bible study, which I only went to because I fancied him. And then he invited me to ask him every question I could think of about this Jesus guy. And when I finally got saved, I got saved in a mega church, like literally 8,000 people. It was a big church. It's even bigger now. It's crazy. And I was completely anonymous until two things happened. One, I was invited to serve. And two, I was invited to join a life group. I know, wild, right? See, serving and life groups, inviting you to those things, it's not something we do every week just because it's like part of the script. It's because we actually know how important and powerful it is. Because all of a sudden, when I started serving and joined a life group, I had a family around me. I had this community within the way bigger community who was actually looking out for me, who was praying for me and asking me the hard questions, who I was growing with. And when I didn't show up on Sunday, was giving me a call and saying, hey, where were you? And I can even remember specific moments where the people of God invited me into the more of the kingdom, into more of what was being offered for me at the feast. I remember uh, I had just graduated uni and just gotten saved and had no idea what I was doing with my life. And a woman that I served in the crush with, she took the afternoon off work to pray and fast and hear from the Lord for me. And I remember a couple years later, I, I had to decide between going to England purely based off a word from the Lord or staying with the missions organization I had been working with and felt quite comfortable with. And it was a guy called Dan White, who was my Connect team leader, because I was on the Connect team. And he was my team lead. And he pulled me aside one Sunday and he said, Sarah, what's going to take more faith? And I said, well, going to England. <laughs> and he's like, all right, off you go. Great. And it was even when I was in England and I knew I was called here and I knew I wanted it to be Bournemouth. But there was no way, there was no visa, there was, there was no option for me to be here. It was this community who invited me into more of what Jesus had for me, invited me into more of the kingdom that was being built here. It was literally people in this very room. It was people like David Morgan and the Riggs and missional community who fought for me, who accepted and loved me, who prayed for me, who believed I was supposed to be here and made a way for me because they invited me into what God was doing here and in my life. Over and over and over again, I have seen how the invitation of Jesus and his people changes things. My life has been irrevocably changed because the people of God invited me to the table of Jesus. Invited me to know the fullness of his kingdom. Don't ever underestimate the power of an invitation, church. It changes lives. 
being invited changed the course of, of history all those years ago with America. And it even more so changed the course of history 2,000 years ago with Jesus on the cross. We are called to be a people of invitation, a people who know and have said yes to the invitation of Jesus, not just once, but know that the fullness of that yes so that we feast with him every day. People who have said yes to that invitation and then extend it to everyone we come into contact with. Jesus. And there's a few ways that this could look, right? There might be some really practical ideas that the Lord's starting to bring up in you. He might be telling you to invite someone to your life group. He might be saying you need to invite someone over for dinner because we're allowed to do that now. There might also be some, some spiritual stuff, some heart stuff coming up. Because we can't actually do that until we know we're invited. Until we know we're included at the table of Jesus. And some of you might not believe that yet. And so today the Lord is saying, oh, believe me. Oh, I love you so much. You are so wanted at my party. 